0: So today we get started right where we left off. Um, last week, we had the student takeover, and that was amazing. I, I, if you weren't here, I mean, they did an amazing job. Can we give it up to those students again one more time last week? <laughs> men, listen, our, guys, as a church, our next generation is something that we believe in wholeheartedly. I mean, it, it is something that's embedded within our DNA. I was a youth pastor for many years, started many young adults ministries. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to be immature for the rest of my life. I, you name it. All right, that's just who I'm going to be. It's just part of our DNA here. We're going to encourage these people because we believe that pouring into the next generation is not optional. All right, I said it to you last week, and I'll say it again. What one generation finds optional, the next generation will find unnecessary. Amen? So it's important for us to embark on this journey and pour into our young people's lives because they are the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today, and amazing things can happen through their ministry. Amen? Amen? Um, however, before I wrapped up last week, we ended up talking, um, before they came and took over, we, we, the week before we were doing this thing on Joshua and kind of finish out this challenge of the book of Joshua, where he, where he tells the people, you know, is it going to be your gods or is it going to be the God? And he, he does that statement at the end of the book of Joshua, where he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And many of us have this posted in our houses, and we, we believe in it, right? So wh- what we see is Joshua dies, and this book of Judges comes to life. Judges is where we will be diving into for the next few weeks as we embark into this journey and thinking, what happened to the people of Israel after Joshua died? No new leader came along. Nothing new where to happen. And then we have this book of Judges, and we automatically think of the word Judges, and we say to ourselves, Somebody's coming to judge the people. And it didn't really work out that way. It didn't really work out that way. The book of Judges is the main historical connection between when Israel takes possession of the land and and they, they, they go on this journey as the time comes when Israel begins to have their first king. It's this gap period between Joshua the leader and then the first king of Israel. Now, a lot of people like to throw shade on Joshua. You don't know what that means. That's somebody young in the room. I'll, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, a lot of people like to, you know, to, to say that Joshua was a bad leader for not leaving another leader that would take on his, his spot when he left. But I believe this was a process of God all along, as he called Moses, then he called Joshua, and then he decided not to call anyone. During this period, Israel was a confederacy, just a group of, 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 of tribes, really, together as they came together during this season. And um, after the announcement of this death, we see that in scripture, in, in, in the book of Joshua at the end, it says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work the Lord did for Israel. But unlike the book of Joshua, there was no indication of a new leader coming up, a new servant coming along a new person coming to take over by God. So Judges opens up right where Joshua left off. You know, it says that the book of Judges gets his name from the individuals that God said to the people of Israel as the time required. This is what happened. This is going to sound familiar, okay? I don't want anybody crying in the room. This is what the people of Israel would do and what they would go through. Israel would rebel against God None of us in the room do that. As a result, there was suffer oppression from their surrounding nations or enemies. This would cause them to cry out to God, and God would send a judge to deliver them. All right? There are 14 judges total. Only 13 are mentioned in the book. The last one being Samuel, who ends up introducing the first king and he's not mentioned in the book of Judges, but all 13 men in this book from different tribes function as military leaders and civil judges. The bull, this book reveals the disaster that takes place when a group of people who are believers, who have a covenant with God, decide to turn away from God to do their own thing, cry out to God again, and God steps up and saves them again with his mercy. I'm going to do a short introduction today because I don't have a lot of time um, as we have baptisms coming at the end of this and all that. But I want to kind of give you the idea of what we're going to be looking at. Today, we're going to go through the introduction of the book itself, as I just mentioned briefly, and kind of relate it to our lives. And then next week, we'll start talking about those individual judges that came along the way. So today's sermon title is, Have Measures and Heartbreak. Because Judges is known for reminding us How quickly, how slowly people learn from history and how quickly they are to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. It's like a revolving door with the people of Israel, would you say? The good news about the people of Israel is we get to read about them and we get to sit here and just compare with them and actually give them a hard time like it has nothing to do with us. We get real judgmental. These people, they saw miracles from God. They witnessed God do amazing things. They saw one thing after the other and they still turn away from God and did horrible things with them. But today we get to see how maybe we can learn a little bit from their story and how God stepped in and helped them even in the most difficult times of their need. Now, have you ever heard the saying that smart people learn from their mistakes while wise people learn from the mistakes of others? That's why we have the people of Israel. It is a concept built within the parameters of we should learn from their mistakes. The sad part is sometimes we don't even have smart people. People have a hard time learning from their own mistakes in a lot of ways. You may say, Moses, I'm good. My relationship with God is great. Me and God were chilling. The people of Israel were in direct covenant with God and still fail to be challenged by the relationship they had with him. We too are in a relationship with God. Let me tell you something. If our version of God never challenges us, if we have spirit, uh, spirituality where our version of a deity agrees with our preferences on a daily basis, and friends, we don't have a God. You are your God. There's got to be a submission that takes place when we build a relationship with God because the reality is that seasons of lives are going to change. We're going to have ups and downs. We're going to be good. We're going to be bad. Victories in our lives will bring confidence for victory, but the same is true for the opposite. Defeats will put us in a place of doubt, confusion, and hopelessness. That's why our life and our relationship with God can't be based on our feelings and how we we're navigating life and what he's done and not done, all right? Yes, that's the toilet. I hear it. <laughs> Listen, if you're here for the first time, you're in for a treat. We, this is how it is, all right? <laughs> my, 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 my leaders tell me not to say it, right? Like, like so, so I'm good with one flush. I'm good with the second one. The third one, I have to say something. I have to say something. I have to say something. (laughs) So bathroom breaks are between 10 and 10.30, all right? Once the service starts, no bathroom breaks. (laughs) All right. I said it. Now I'm going to get in trouble in tomorrow's call. I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. I'm sorry, Julie. I had to say it, Julie. I had to say it. (laughs) Judges 2. Let's read Judges 2, verse 10 to 15. (laughs) That's funny. All right. So it says, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. This This is one of the most powerful verses of our generation, guys. Because we have the tools, we have the information, and we're called to pass it forward. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the, and the images of Ashtoreth. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He hunted them over their enemies all around and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated just as he had warned them. And the people were in great distress. Man, I never want to be on that side of faith. I never want to be on that side of faith. I mean, in fact, we read this and we would tell ourselves we would do everything willingly in our power to never be in that position. To never allow ourselves in a relationship with God to be presented in that position with God. Where he comes and fights against us. I always use the terminology of the concept that God opposes the proud. I use that. I keep that embedded within me because God opposes the proud, which means he doesn't ignore you. He literally comes against you. He switches sides and comes against you and battles against you. He opposes you when you're in that position. This is a great example of that same concept. These people kept rebelling against God, and God wanted nothing to do with it. What happens is that all of us would agree that we never want to be in this side of faith, but yet when given the opportunity to do things that matter to us or that feed our flesh or allow us to do the things that we feel like we want to do at a time, we... We test the theory in a heartbeat. Just like the people of Israel, we make decisions constantly every day. We take actions that go against the will of God for our lives and what he has us do and what he wants us to do. Which kind of leads me to my first point. And and I'm only going to have two points today. It's very practical, very quickly. It says partial obedience is disobedience. You know, uh, I, I like using the example of a more, more, more practical way to understand this is that if I'm unfaithful to my wife once, that doesn't make me just a little bit unfaithful, that makes me full-time unfaithful. You follow me? It, there isn't like levels to this. That makes sense? Partial obedience is disobedience. Obedience to God is invisible faith put to visible action. It doesn't depend on good or bad circumstances. It doesn't focus on the obstacle. It's just obedience to God. It's blind obedience, trusting that the all-knowing, almighty God knows what's best. He has in store for your life what is best for you. Do you realize that the creator of the universe loves you more than you love yourself? That is a fact. He knows what's best for you more than you know for yourself. You may say, how does this apply? Baal, this is so extreme. Well, Baal was the chief god worshipped by the Canaanites. He was known as the god of fertility, rain, and vegetation. His worship included prostitution and children's sacrifice. Horrible offices towards God. And as a community of believers, we would have read this years ago and thought, that's so far-fetched, such an extreme scenario. Bail? That's not like us. And the more I read it, the more we're right smack in the middle of things like this. If you're able to relate a little bit of it, I mean, we have fertility laws and battles with abortion climate changes and control over different things, the food industry and its exploitation, the moral decay in the home and the exposure of our children. You may say, these things don't relate to me. Yes, they do. Their battles we're constantly re- fighting. Now, today, the prophets of Israel repeatedly condemn the Israelites for their constant connection to the worship of Baal. Why is this so important to us? Because we are living in a culture of compromise as people we are being asked to compromise time in and time out if i were to ask you as people today think of how much personally you have compromised throughout the years we would be able to write down many things things that we were okay with back in the day that we weren't okay with back in the day now we're okay with them we're like that's fine let's just let that happen that's fine let's just let that happen I come from a Hispanic background, so it's macho, macho, macho. Seriously. I mean, I couldn't give my grandfather a pair of flip-flops. You take offense to it. It's crazy. What's wrong with flip-flops? I got flip-flops. I mean, I I own flip-flops. And I know this is a silly example, but it's just an idea of how compromised we have become. We are constantly... Just riding that line of compromise. Even our, in our Christian culture today, we want the kingdom of God, but we want to reject our king. We think this is a democracy. This is a, No, it's a kingdom. It's like my house. My house is not a democracy. I'm the king, she's the queen, and Sebastian should know better. Now... <laughs> I know, that's a silly example. I'm just kidding. But it's, it's the same concept with our relationship with God. He is our, gin, our king. He is our Lord. He is ruler over all. He is the creator. He is the one that has set you forth to do mighty things and amazing things. He saved you. He redeemed you. He's the one in charge of your future. He's going to make that brighter than ever if you allow Him to. But He has to be our king. We want the kingdom. We want the kingdom. And yet again, all we've done is compromise. We need to find a way to rediscover the joy of conviction. Two things that we don't think go together. We think conviction is a word of restriction, of avoidance, of, 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 of limitations and this and that. There's a joy in being convicted about things. In this culture of compromise. Why? Why is it important? Because conviction determines your conduct. The dictionary usually defines the the conviction as a fixed or strong belief. And, And I like the definition of conviction. I once heard from a great Bible teacher, Howard Hendricks, as he said, A belief is something you argue about, but a conviction is something that you're willing to die for. We need to be people convicted of those things. I'm not telling you to get under a rock and be irrelevant. Be convicted about the things that God has placed in our hearts to be people of the kingdom that believe in this gospel, that refuse to compromise, that know what's best for our community in times of distress. You know, so the, the joy of conviction in a culture of compromise. You know, I, I follow this rule as an individual to me that is personal. And, it, it, and it, I think we could all follow it is that, God will not give you the grace to overcome these the things that you can't get away from God will give you the grace to overcome the things that you can't get away from He'll step in and help you if you can't get away from it, but he will not give you the grace To overcome the things that you can get away from All right We constantly want God to step in and to do something amazing And to step in into our lives when you already know what you're doing Look look at the people of Israel Israel the people of Israel knew exactly what the covenant, was. they knew exactly what they needed to do. And yet again, they still rebelled against God and rebelled against God and went back to God. It's like we're measuring the mercy of God in our lives constantly as individuals. We tell ourselves, can I push God a little harder? Can I go a little bit further with grace? Can I go a little bit further with mercy? And we keep pushing that line and pushing that line with God. And then when things get really bad, we say, Lord, where are you? When we know exactly what to do all along. When we know exactly what to do all along. You see a guy like Joshua, I mean uh, Joseph, who was faced with a compromising position, and what did he do? He ran out. The Bible doesn't talk about his feelings, his emotions. Friends, if I let my emotions drive my life, I would be in trouble. I'm not saying you don't feel this way. That's not the argument here. If you look at me and you say, "This is what I feel inside," I agree. I believe you but I don't wake up every morning and do everything my emotions tell me to do it would be really bad wouldn't it think about it you're sitting there like oh yeah that that would be tough you know you get into a fight on the road traffic say all kinds of words right think about it your emotions could end up taking you to a place where you don't want to be yet again our culture calls this kind of thinking narrow-minded limited thinking The view of Christianity as a limitation to humanity of some sort. Similar to what the people of Israel kind of always assumed from God. They always wanted something else. They always needed that additional thing. God would give them the promised land. And they would still say, what else? Why can't we do this? We feel like doing that. And constantly working this angle of wanting something additional. And you may say, Moises, but living life limited, convicted like that is difficult. And I agree. This faith isn't meant to be easy, but a yoke is easy to obtain. That's easy to get a hold of and grab. Our lives are going to be a byproduct of our lifestyle. What you decide to live, that's what's going to be. There's this business term that I love using. It says every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. And if that's what you follow, that's what you'll be. You will be a byproduct of your lifestyle. And if your life is not devoted to the king, guess what? You're constantly going to be going back to him, say, I'm sorry. And he's going to have to step in and help you out again. Not that he wouldn't. But sometimes I do feel like we know what to do, we just don't do it. It's like my five-year-old. We act the same way. I tell Sebastian no, and it's like it's like I didn't say anything. I need to say it in Spanish, I think. No. <laughs> no. It's the same thing, yeah. <laughs> You know, what what if I told you that these limitations aren't something to fight, but something to gratefully accept as a signpost of God's calling on our souls? Something to embrace. Man, you know, we we always look for God and, and his will in our lives through our purpose. But what if we also found God's will for our lives and our limitations with full obedience? Wouldn't that be something? That God is just not this opening door of things, of blessings. and What if God was limiting you so you could fulfill the purpose of your life calling? What if you were being restricted as an individual to set up some boundaries in your life personally to become the fulfillment of the person God has called you to be? You know, because if our beliefs don't work out practically in our lives, people will have a hard time believing our philosophy. They won't know. They won't receive it. The message could be greatly needed, much needed, but it doesn't show. If it doesn't show in our lives, people won't want it. You would have the overweight personal trainer syndrome. Come on, let me change your life. Bro, you can't change my life. It's contradictory, right? Sounds like a silly example. I'm not knocking on overweight personal trainers. You know, I'm sure they know what they're doing. It's just hard to believe. You follow me? Kind of leads me to my second point. And this is a positive point because I know this is kind of boom. Mm. Point number two, full obedience brings hope. You may say hope of what? One, what? A bright future one full of purpose, one constituted by God, protecting us from all the evil things and the things that come against us. Look at what Judges chapter 2, verse 16 to 18 says. Then the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who had walked in obedience to the Lord's command. Whenever the Lord raised up a a, a judge over Israel, he was with that judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on his people who were burned by oppression and suffering. You know what shocks me about this verse is that God cares so much that even in their rebellion and their personal prostitution, he still brought judges help them out his mercy and grace extended time and time and time again does that sound familiar to you because it sounds really familiar to me a god that no matter what i do it's like i can't out sin god with a repentance heart and true repen- he, he could do amazing things in our lives wow you know is so relevant in our day. This is the pattern. There's five patterns that they went through here that that we could identify with pretty quickly here. The new generation drifts away from personal relationship with the Lord. That's one. Number two, as a result, they adopt the lifestyles and values of the surrounding culture, causing them to rebel against God. Number three, God judges them by allowing them to suffer oppression and bondage from one of their enemies. Number four, Finally, the Israelites repent and cry out to God in their misery and repent from going their own way and turning back to the Lord. And number five, God rises in their midst with a leader to rescue the Israelites and restore them in right relationship with Him. It's like the story of our lives. (laughs) As silly as that may sound, it's just like what we live to on a day-to-day basis. This pattern is so relatable to our personal lives. However... Even though it's relatable to our personal lives, I'm not here to tell you you're as bad as the people of Israel. I'm here to tell you not to embrace it, not to make it your identity. Be wise. We have the opportunity to learn from the mistakes of other people. In this case, the Bible is written for us to read it. Take it in. Can we consider just fighting for one second? Do not confront. Forming to what's in front of us. Allowing God to rise people around, around those mighty warriors that would fight in this season of life. That's so difficult. Could we say that maybe God is rising you as a judge to the group of people around you in your life to be the impact that the community around you needs? Get Billy and Katie going across the world following the call of God. You may say, "Moises, but what about my life? My life is so good. My house is so nice. Matthew 10, 39 says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We're living in a culture that that says, feel yourself. And God is telling you, no, 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 feel others. God's created us. He didn't create us to be takers. He created us to be givers we have this consumer mindset when we're supposed to be contributors of this gospel to people you know you, you may not be liked by people but I've come to the realization this is the reality for my life I will never fit in I will never be cool I will never be liked respected or admired by this culture that's my stance And I believe that God will have it pay his dividends in my life personally. But you're in a culture that's surrounded and continues to shift from a place of honor to a place of shame. And we're getting so caught up in our deficiencies as a culture. Now allowing us to operate in the God-given call over our lives. Don't give up on this nation. Don't give up on the generation. Instead, Fight. I told you last week, you haven't been freed from the fight. You have been been freed for it. We have the tools and the ability to make a difference in our surroundings. That looks different to everybody. That looks different to everybody. But what can possibly be holding you back is my question to you today. What could be the stronghold personally that sits you back and does not allow you to walk in that, that God has called you to do? Are we stuck like the people of Israel in this repetitive cycle, where God has to constantly step in and do something in our lives to change the scene for us? You ever heard of baby elephant syndrome? It's a real thing. You're like, I still don't believe you, I get it. Sounds funny. A baby elephant at a very young age, they will tie a chain to it as a baby and tie it to a tree. And the baby elephant will fight hard and fight hard to get away and fight hard to get away and try and try his best and fight and fight tirelessly to break off this bondage. It's called baby elephant syndrome because when the elephant will grow to full strength, He will be so accustomed to his bondage that he didn't know he had the strength to break off. Many of us have a stronghold in our lives that's lived with us for a very long time. And we're all grown up. God has given us all the tools and the strength. And still to this day, we're tied up to that tree believing that we can't go anywhere. The strongholds in our lives, we've gone so accustomed to them and so used to them being part of us that we just don't believe there's any way I could stop being this person that I am that I dislike or that God dislikes or that fails all the time or that has a hard time listening to God. Like the people of Israel, when they repented, God provided a way out a solution, a judge that will rescue them and help them through the situation. And friends, if you're here this morning and you're dealing with this baby elephant syndrome, as funny as that may sound, I just want to tell you, you're full grown. You have the tools in place given to you by God to break off anything. You could tell me whatever you want. It could be really bad. Look at the person next to you and say, you're not that bad. Sounds silly and funny, but truly, when paired up with the grace of God and his mercy and his strength and his all-knowing power and his love, we are no match. Our sin, our past is no match. We can be victorious in what God has in store for us today. We have been given one thing after the other, one blessing after the other. If God stopped blessing me today, friends, he has already done enough for a lifetime in my life. God doesn't have to do one more thing in my life. Not one. I want a lot of things. But if God stopped right now, I've I've had so many things. He's been more than good to me. I'm not gonna live under this idea of this baby elephant syndrome. I know I have the strength to get out. I know I have the strength to break off. He's given us that. And unlike the people of Israel, we have the ability to learn from them and say, I no longer have to remain here. I could step out in faith. You know, just like your mistakes don't make you a uh, failure, your, your, your successes don't make you a successful person forever. Have you ever considered that failure in our lives may not be an option? It may be a necessity for where we're going. You may be learning from that more than you think. You don't understand why it's happening, but it may be a necessity in your life for the journey that God has in store for you. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray. Jesus, you you have given us the ability, Lord, to to seek you and to find you, God. And God, you've done it all for us. Honestly, I... We can't even begin to, to understand the, the, the amazing power and, and, and stretch that your mercy and grace has over our lives, God. And I just thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come before you one more time and say, God, please forgive us. You have given us the ability to break off those things that tie us back, that hold us back, God. Whatever stronghold that may be in the room this morning, God, I break it off in the name of Jesus. I pray that the power of your spirit will come up on these individuals here, including my life, God, and do a life changing event, a power shifting moment, God, that would allow us to see that we don't have to be the same people we once were, that we can not truly change, that we can not truly break away. God, help us, God, to bring you in first, to allow you to be Lord, help us to one your kingship. Not your, just your kingdom, God. Allow us to be open to include you in every area of our lives so that we may give you glory and our purpose be fully fulfilled through you. Thank you, God, for being so good and for everything that you're doing. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Can you give it up for God real quick?